0: Episode 138 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 16th of August, 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. All right. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. So it's the middle of August. We're well into summer now. Not much is going on. There's a couple of releases we can get to, but first, let's talk about Apple. I know this is not technically Linux, but it's important. So I think uh, we're excused, especially at this point in the summer. So Apple announced recently two distinct things which seem to have become conflated somewhat in people's minds. The first is that they are going to start scanning people's iPhones and iPads for what they call CSAM, or CSAM, child sexual abuse material. And then once that's identified on the device only, a little token will be created, and then if they try and upload those photos to iCloud, the token will go with it, and then after a certain number of those tokens are uploaded to iCloud, that's when an account will get flagged, and then a human will become involved, and that's when they start telling the authorities. And so they claim that it's only at that point that anything will happen, and it's all totally private, so mm, not sure about that one. The other totally separate endeavor is that they are going to scan iMessages coming in and out of phones for children to effectively stop them sending news to each other. And it will alert their parents if they continue to do that, even when they've been warned that they shouldn't buy Apple. Most people seemingly are up in arms about this. Phelan, you were the one who brought it to our attention. You linked us to an EFF piece about this.
1: There's been a fair few more. Even Bruce Schneier would be another one where he said, you know, this is one of the Four one of the information apocalypse you know you have terrorism drug dealers kidnappers and then this is the, the fourth one and with any of those things you can say what you want and people will just gladly accept the conditions that you put under it like it's it's like that Family Guy episode where they're trying to clean up the toxic lake and Lois stumbles across saying nine eleven to get out of <laughs> any type of issue where it's required um, so I mean I don't doubt that there's a horrible, horrible issue that has to be dealt with, but I'm not sure this is the way to do it because this is scanning on your device and those things are fraught with errors. I quite like the idea that it scans
2: on your device and not in the cloud. I, th- I think that Apple's implementation, such that I understand, it, is actually quite a, a, a graceful way of doing it, if that's the right word. One of the reports on this I read talked about the fact that Apple, and not only Apple, but also every other significant software company that has some kind of service in the cloud is sooner or later going to have a requirement to scan those files for particular content. If that cloud content is encrypted, then the people who are holding that data cannot scan your data for um, what they are told to by the man. And so by doing the scanning on your device and then uploading them uh, in an encrypted manner to an encrypted cloud, they quite neatly sidestep this problem that they would have of keeping your data in the cloud, unencrypted, and so available to any government agency that might want to get at it. So I think the, the concept of doing it on the device is is a really nice way of protecting, ultimately protecting more people from privacy invasion. And I have to believe that Apple are trying to do the right thing here, that they have said they will only accept these um, fingerprints from two very specific database sources, and that is what they will be searching for. So I think, yes, there's a chance of false positives, but I would say that's pretty low. And I genuinely don't believe that Apple are doing this under the behest of a government agency in order to get specific scanning technologies onto your phone. Now, of course, that's what they want you to believe. But I don't believe that Apple are doing this as a backdoor
1: into people's devices.
0: But where does this end?
1: I think that's the problem. It's like once you have this capability, it can be trained to do whatever you want it to within Limit. And you know, if you have an oppressive regime that doesn't like gay people, then you can train it to look for images of that. If you've got something that's, you know, seen as revolutionary pictures, for instance, they can look at those things and, you know, it can be trained. And it's not the first time that Apple's caved to a market. I mean, if you take Chinese market, that's, you know, a billion plus and they wanted that market and they made concessions to get into that market. So they can't kind of pretend to be all in favor of privacy. And then on the other hand, they make themselves available to these things, depending on where they're selling it. Um, like one of the, one of the things, there's a guy called, uh, Dr. Neil Kravitz, I think is how you say his name. And he runs a site called photo forensics. He's used these hashes that they're going to get from the, I think it's NCMEC, which is the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. That's one of the sources. And he had one that was a, False positive of a fully clothed man holding a rhesus macaque monkey. And it just goes to show that, you know, the amount of like mistakes, the problem is with the current COVID crisis, there's a lot of doctors that will be working externally and will be getting patients to submit pictures of various parts, no doubt. And then you're going to have somebody at Apple that's going to be walking through those pictures. So, I mean, I don't know how happy people would be about that. I mean, that that's another side of this thing where, you know, the way that this type of material is meant to be dealt with is that the only person who looks at that data is that actual anti-child exploitation group in the state. So Apple's actually not following the law of the States when they do that by having somebody in Apple review those images. I don't think that somebody in Apple is going
2: to review those images, but perhaps I haven't read enough of the news. My understanding was that they would be scanned on the device, that the fingerprint would be uploaded, but the pictures would be uploaded to iCloud in their encrypted form. And so therefore somebody at Apple cannot actually look at those pictures.
0: Yeah, that was my understanding that they won't actually look at the photos, but they will look to see which fingerprints have been uploaded and therefore which files have been uploaded and then alert the authorities and ban you and stuff. So they are making the right noises about how they have secured their back door and they think that it's clever what they've done. And it is pretty clever, but it's just not enough for me. It's, it's too open to abuse from Apple or external entities forcing Apple's hand to do stuff. Like they are putting in place mechanisms which are there for good, both of them, which are two separate issues that are related, but both of them sound good on paper and are good right now. But it's what they are setting up, the foundations they're laying, which could be easily abused later on.
3: The article that Phelan referred to, where the person found the the monkey image actually triggered a false positive, they deal with thousands of these images through their photo scanning service, an order of magnitude more than Apple reports. So they're grossly aware of how many of these images are being circulated and how damaging it is, obviously. Um, And yet they conclude in that excellent piece that he wrote that this is wrong for Apple to be doing this. And it is down to trust. There's a few things in this that and I think it does involve Linux because Apple has been positioning itself as the, the pro privacy hardware vendor, the smartphone vendor where, you know, people don't have access to your phone. And this seems to me to add something new to it that it's a bit of a caveat in that Apple wants to encrypt, do end to end encryption on everything. It's got it on iMessage. It wants to do encrypted backups on its phone that are copied to encrypted backups in the cloud and I do think they're under a lot of pressure to allow some kind of backdoor in and also it's incredibly arrogant from Apple to they didn't see this coming, they didn't see, I mean I think it has been a big news story, it's certainly been in all of the mainstream press as well as in all the geek channels and it's just a step too far, how much do we want to give up because I think ultimately it will I think Phelan's point about China is absolutely spot on, I think maybe not for us, maybe you know, our privacy will be honoured. But what about other parts of the world where Apple may, you know, give concessions? Um, but it's also just the beginning of the end in terms of this is the second ecosystem. People who are using these platforms for sharing photos are going to learn that they can't use Apple devices. They'll find a way around it. So the 99.999% of people, as usual, who are not doing anything wrong will end up bearing the consequences of of this draconian kind of system.
2: Yeah, and I think that's my biggest concern is that it's so easy to avoid getting yourself involved in this you disable uploading to iCloud of your pictures or you don't buy an Apple device I know that that sounds like I think that they're not going far enough but that is is not the case I just it seems so flawed in the fact that you can just turn off iCloud and the whole thing gets disabled that that just is odd
3: and smells a bit fishy and I also feel like It's easy for technology to be used to catch the bad people, but we're also failing at a much more fundamental level of society where children are abused, where people are allowed to get away with crimes, where we're relying on technology, I think, too much to make up for other failings, where we should be more observant and we should be more active and be more proactive in stopping people being able to do this kind of stuff. And that does piss me off that we always have to bear the brunt. And it doesn't matter what happens, that everybody makes promises in the beginning about how something's going to be used only for these set of circumstances. And I'd I'd love to see the data, but I would guess that 99% of the time it just isn't. In the end, it becomes subverted for some other means. Okay,
0: this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com
3: slash late night Linux
0: and see why Linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both G2 and TrustRadius. From their award-winning support offered 24 7 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. Linode offers great price to performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. I said there were a couple of releases, Elementary OS 6 and Debian 11 Bullseye have both been released. I've tried them both, and Debian is just Debian, but a bit newer and not the latest of anything. It's, uh, you know, like, for example, GNOME 3.38 instead of 40 or 41, exactly what you'd expect. Nothing of great note there, but we have to acknowledge the release, I think, because it's a pretty big deal. Elementary OS 6, Dan's obviously a good friend, so just a a plug there. But elementary OS is just not for me, unfortunately. I appreciate what they're doing over there, but it's just not for me. I don't suppose any of you lot
3: have tried these out. I haven't tried them out, no, but I have watched a couple of videos to see what's new and see it, especially how elementary OS looks because I I love the design, the aesthetic that they focus so much on, and I, I think actually they do a really good job with it. It's something markedly different as well from the usual stuff. All that I could picture was Dan sat
1: there at 1451 waiting for the clock to roll over to 1452 so he could take a quick screenshot of it in the light mode theme and then flicking it to the dark mode theme before it changed to 1453. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at that clock and that clock's still 1452. I'm like, how did you do it, Dan? hotkeys it has to be (laughs) hotkeys
2: pro tip if you're making screenshots for a a release and you need the clock to be a particular time there's a a gnome shell extension that works very well written by a certain stuart language
0: but all i can say with elementary is try it out and give it a go because it is it's a very different approach and it's their specific vision for how an operating system should work and there's no point me describing all the features and stuff Just try it out is all I would say. Give it a go and decide if it's for you or not. And it's not for me, but I totally get what they're going for. So you should definitely give it a go. Perhaps we should give it a go. He's saying we should add it to our wheel of mare. I think so. I think we should do that. Well, you two have obviously not been looking in the dock because uh, Elementary OS is there already because Mm. people have suggested it. So it is already in the wheel of mare. But we kind of need a few more for that. So if there's any distros or bits of software or just random FOSS-related stuff, like next time we're going to be looking at uh, the Mastodon instance, Fostodon. Uh, So yeah, we need more stuff for the Wheel of mess. So send it in. Uh, There's one on there uh, that uh, I don't think I've told you a lot about, and that is XFCE. I'm going to make you lot use it and report back.
1: Oh, I'm very sick that week. (laughs) (laughs) I know we kind of brushed over Debian being... The same old Debian, but I mean, I think we do need to stop and wait. There's like 59,000 software packages on that thing, like 59,076 languages. I mean, I think that is an achievement alone. But one thing that I did notice was that they have been putting in epidemiology tools with under the med dash meta packages mm. and i just thought that was quite uh, current for a debian release <laughs> yeah. to be able to actually get in in time for a pandemic not to be over so i don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing on both sides
0: yeah and you know i've, I've glossed over it but it is a solid looking release and i've as i said i tried it out and it's just debian to me but um that really undersells all the work that's gone into it Cast your mind back to just after Fos Talk Live when we had some leftover questions that we did. And one of them was name the best thing about Gnarum, Plasma, XFC and loads of other stuff. Well, when we did that, we actually did record name the worst thing about those and that never made it into the episode. Well, it's quiet, it's summer, let's hear it now. All right, a quick lightning round We had the best thing about, but now you have to name the worst thing about Gnome, Plasma, XFCE, Pulse Audio, Arch, Ubuntu, Debian, and Fedora. So, fair name. The worst thing about Gnome. Arrogance, saying that there's only their way to do things.
1: Okay, Plasma? Influence, they don't have as much that, say, the likes of GNOME do.
0: Everybody uses GNOME in their distros almost. Fair enough. XFCE, nothing. Okay. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) GTK4 and the ability to keep up. (laughs) Uh, All right. Pulse audio? Uh,
1: It was too soon. Breaks. I don't know how it breaks when it does break. It's complicated, but uh, yeah, it's audio. It is complicated. Yeah. Arch? The AUR. I don't trust rando
3: packages made by Joe Bloggs. Uh, It just seems weird. Yeah, but they're really easy to understand. If you have a look at the package files, you can see that they're just... Grabbing from GitHub, and no. Oh, look things, at you—you yeah. you just
0: can't help okay. stick up oh, for them. No. Ubuntu. I'm shit scared of Microsoft's going to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough.
1: Debian. Yeah, I wish they'd just decide on things. Be a bit more decisiveness. I think would be great. Yeah, Fedora. I think they're a bit irrelevant. Uh, even though Red Hat have them, so they
0: get more influence than they possibly should. Okay, fair enough. uh Right, Will. Worst thing about GNOME. The my way or the highway thinking. Okay, Plasma. Too many buttons. Fuck off. XFCE. Old. Outrageous. Pulse Audio. Broken. Arch. Too new. Ubuntu. Too
2: old. Debian. (laughs) Even older. (laughs) Fedora. Quite
3: opinionated.
0: Okay, Graham. Gnome.
3: Lack of configuration options. Plasma. Awful default UI design choices. Mm. XFCE. Panel configuration. The default panel configuration is poor. Pulse Audio? It's powerful, but it's complicated if you want to do something. Arch? A little bit elitist.
0: Really? Okay. <laughs> Ubuntu?
3: GNOME. Debian?
0: GNOME. Fedora? GNOME. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, yeah, GNOME, not configurable enough, even though I said that was the best thing about it. It's the best and worst. Double-edged sword. Uh, plasma, too fucking configurable. Lies. Uh, again, double-edged sword. XFCE... Default xfce looks ugly and needs a lot of configuration, so that's the worst thing about it. Thankfully, it's configured very nicely by distros. Pulse audio, yeah, I have to agree. Just it's just a bit complicated and just it's a bit esoteric somehow. Like you really need to learn how to do the complicated stuff with it to get the powerful features that you could use. Uh, Arch, the fact that it can break from just updating it. And that is debatable, I know, but I've had it happen to me, so fuck you. Uh, Ubuntu, I think GNOME, but then that's a bit of a cop-out because you can easily have the other flavors and stuff and have it headless. But yeah, I'm going to cop-out and just say GNOME. Debian, the fact that they make it hard to find the non-free ISOs, I think it should be more upfront about that. Fedora, having to update too frequently. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Alma Linux. Go to almalinux.org. Alma Linux is a 100% community owned and governed open source enterprise Linux distribution and CentOS alternative. Alma Linux provides a robust production grade platform and long term stability that is a one to one drop in replacement for CentOS Linux and RHEL. Driven by the Alma Linux OS Foundation and backed by AWS, ARM, Microsoft Azure, cPanel, OSU Open Source Lab and others, Alma Linux provides a full set of enterprise features such as Secure Boot, OpenScap and Oval support, a full line of cloud, container and VM images, and rebootless migration from other distributions. Find them at almalinux.org and join the community at chat.almalinux.org. On to a bit of admin then, and first of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to learn more about it, slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And do check out Late Night Linux Extra 28. I know I always say this, but uh, this was a really good one. We had Dalton Durst uh, from the UbiPorts project join us, and we had a good discussion about the various platforms and how there's not that much difference between them, or is there these days, with all virtualization and Proton and that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, do check it out. And if you or the company you work for wants to advertise with us, then do get in touch, late night slash contact. Let's do some feedback then. We got quite a bit about uh, open source grifters and people taking advantage of the community.
2: Yeah, so Sean wrote in to say that he really enjoyed the show the other day. The bit about open source being full of Kickstarter scams got me thinking about the parallels with entrepreneurship more generally. An entrepreneur deploys resources in anticipation of future gain, but the gain is never certain. If you buy shares in a startup, you accept that you could lose your money. Giving time or money to an open source project is really the same sort of behavior. You deploy resources in anticipation of future gain, the difference being that the gain isn't financial. It's also interesting to note that even a failed project may produce code that could be reused for something else. I'd be interested to hear what you guys think. Has a failed project ever laid the groundwork for a later successful one?
0: That is a good question, and I couldn't think of anything obvious. I mean, there's projects that have not done amazingly well that have then kind of helped with others I, mean, I suppose you could say the ubuntu phone project was a failure i mean ultimately it was shut down and then ubiports was sort of born out of that that's not really relevant to this because i don't believe that uh, there was anything nefarious going on there canonical just tried and failed essentially so it's not the best example but i can't think of of one
3: personally um the K album project that I was involved with 20 years ago. I mean, that was a failure, but personally, it, it massively helped me. It helped me get my first job, uh, Linux format magazine. And, and it's always a good thing to have. And so even if a project fails, I think for the people involved with it, if it helps them,
2: I think it's much more common for a reasonably successful project to. F- feed a much more successful one i'm thinking specifically here of cody uh, and if i think i'm right in thinking that that started out life as xbmc and before that i think it started out as as something else so these are projects that that have grown organically and then found a new found new uses in other places and those projects which have gone on
0: um to be more successful than the original one i think there's probably quite a lot of examples of that well an obvious example of a project feeding into a more successful one is Debian and Ubuntu. I mean, Debian is not a failure by any stretch of the imagination, but in terms of number of users, Ubuntu's got to be like at least two or three orders of magnitude greater. But that's one successful project feeding into a massively successful project. But so again, I don't think we've come up with an example that really fits what we were previously talking about about people taking advantage because generally speaking, those people who do take advantage don't offer anything of value that can be taken i'm sure there are exceptions but i just can't think of one and i don't think we can either okay joe wrote to us not me that's confusing it is confusing (laughs) anyway joe said i am more aligned with graham i can sort of see the point that people with bad intentions can appeal to free and open source ideals but i'd rather have that than being told what ideals or dreams we're supposed to agree with case in point live photos on ios I recently found that my wife's iPad is using two times the storage space because this was enabled by default. I only found it when testing out backup to Nextcloud, and it seemed like such a backhanded thing for Apple to do when they know they never offer SD cards for iOS and charge a huge premium for storage space. Even disabling the feature is tricky as it tries to come back on its own. It's definitely good to be wary of fake or insincere nods to open source and free software, But while the message might be unique, I don't think the free software community is unique
3: in deceptive tactics from organisations or companies. And we've got something on the same subject from Jim, who says, uh, You lads lost the plot, read Desktop Linux Grifters. The desktop Linux community isn't naturally more optimistic or forgiving than other communities. Try being on the wrong end of a baying slash dot-esque mob sometime. What's different is the size of the community. Desktop Linux as a community has gotten large enough to be worth grifting, but small enough that individual and very small company grifters can still make a giant splash. In the Windows or Mac OS world, the ones doing the grifting on... The users are multi-million and usually billion-dollar companies with shiny PR campaigns, and the users sadly shrug it off as how it is when it happens. A small grifter in the Windows or Mac OS world just can't make a big enough splash to register as affecting the entire community, partly because the community itself is larger, but more because those communities are just used to not being able to get anything amazing from a small group. For example, consider a hypothetical modern Windows phone that isn't made by Microsoft themselves but by a small company with 50 employees or so. Licensing issues of Windows aside, Nobody would take that seriously because if it was worth doing, they're certain Microsoft would have done it themselves. But on the Linux side, well, I needn't go further.
0: Reasonable points from Joe and Jim there, I think. And we did mention the Apple thing, didn't we? I know Phelim, you obviously <laughs> had a go at Apple when we talked
3: about this originally. i never miss an opportunity. I do remember it being a good discussion. And um, I think it was maybe Will at the time said about the size of the community being a significant factor in how the kind of grifters have an effect and i'm beginning to agree i think there's something about the size that resonates at the moment with um with grifters there's a kind of a feedback loop that maybe you don't get when the community is bigger or smaller okay this
0: episode is sponsored by cbt nuggets training for it professionals or anyone looking to build it skills go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night linux and sign up for a seven day free trial the on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com/late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. Right, let's do a quick KDE corner before we get out of here then. The first one, KDE Apps 2108, and this includes Kden Live.
1: It does, yeah. So Dolphin has a cool rename feature, which I wish I had discovered before I had to rename about 30 odd files that were all horribly done, where if you hit rename it. You can just tab in between them as you change them and it auto selects the text each box. It's just really pretty, really nice. And yeah, nice and easy. Uh, Console has this weird thing. You can type in salmon, for instance, and hover over it and get the color box pop up, which sounds a bit lame. But if you're actually looking through stuff on a server, quite handy. There's a whole lot of stuff where packages are uh, embracing new K hamburger menu and stuff to make things better. And Eliza has a new party mode that you can flick into F11. It's quite cool. KD Live has time remapping. It looks interesting. I have no idea how to do that. It's just bizarre. It definitely skills for doing video editing that I don't have. Uh Mask effects. There's guides so you can line up different tracks and stuff like that. And it also brings in the command bar, which is that handy utility where you can search for options by just bringing up a hotkey feature. And it's like searching within the application itself, which I think is pretty sweet.
0: And presumably all of this has arrived in KDE Neon already then?
1: Yeah, it has. Um, I I mean, I did notice a slight bug that I've got myself with console. It popped up toolbars. I don't like toolbars in it. And to not have the toolbars, I had to tell it to not remember the setting for how big I wanted my console by default, which meant that it then pops up as a tiny console. So it's very annoying. I've logged a bug. It's all good. It'll be fixed soon, I'm
0: sure. (laughs) And what's this adverts for KDE software thing? Is this just them having a laugh or what? I think it is, yeah. I think they tried to see how small amount of money they could pay to get a
1: well fairly professional-looking ad. And, uh, I mean, you know, if Windows is doing ads for the latest Windows terminal, I don't see why we can't have one for console as well. But there's one there for Eliza and Dolphin too. I think it's actually quite good. So, I mean, check them out.
0: Yeah, we'll have links in the show notes to them. It's, it's quite strange, I must say. But... uh I think it is. It, it's the only way I can describe it. It's just them doing it for a lark. They just were bored or something. Just thought, ah, that'd be funny to do. And fair play to them, really. Because it's got people talking about it. And, you know, it's, it's got people sharing them on Reddit and all the rest of it. So it is actually doing what it set out to do. Maybe it is just like a viral campaign or something.
1: I think it was a, a buddy podcast had the, the bombshell that that old man had nothing to do with KD or console. He was just, <laughs> just stuck art. <out. laughs>
0: Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll be talking about all sorts. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Salem. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.